Back in Judges, which where we are now, what you see is that it was there was no king who did was evil in the eyes of the Lord. It was the people. So in, in Kings, it's recognized as the king who was leading the people into evil. But in Judges, it's all the people. The devil was evil in the sight of, of the Lord. But because of the, the repeated evil that God's people were doing, um, profaning his name, what did God do? God sent Babylon to destroy his temple and cast them off into exile. He had a plan there. But when it happened, they didn't know or they didn't always understand what was happening in the midst of that despair. Let's walk through this first question. Do you despair? Truly, God, sorry, oh God, why do you cast us off forever? There's that, there's that feeling there. You know, I think as we see the rest of the psalm, I don't think Asaph is actually believing that God is going to cast them off forever because that's not the way the, the psalm ends. But there is a reality of a feeling that they feel that God is, is far off. I think we've all been there right? in our lives, walking with the Lord. There's been there's been moments, there's been seasons when God seems far off. Maybe in the life of this church, there has been days when it seemed God was far off from this place. Why does your anger smoke against the sheep? Of your pasture. Now, you see that language there? That the, the sheep of your pasture. Just think about the, 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 the shepherd imagery throughout the, the Bible. When you think sheep of your pasture, what do you typically think of God? Loving, caring, protecting. And Asaph is saying, Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? The ones you were supposed to protect and care for. Why is your anger raging against us? Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Remember Mount Zion, where you have dwelt. It's as if God has forgotten us. That's really the, the, the prayer. The remember, Lord, we are the people that you have redeemed, that you have brought back. Remember uh, that we are the ones that you have, have set aside for, for your own namesake. But he's saying remember because they think, they feel that God is lost them, that they are forgotten. They are in despair. And I think that is one way that the evil one tempts the people of God. He tries to, to make you despair for what's happening in your life. And there's that God is not there with you. There's that feeling. How many people, I mean, you probably could, everyone could probably testify to this, that you have known someone in your life who was walking with God, then tragedy struck them. And when that tragedy struck them, they turned away from the Lord. We even heard it a couple of Wednesday nights ago, right? When, when someone took a child from them and they said, well, I have nothing to do with the Lord. Bitter, angry against God. Where were you? Why, were, why didn't you care for me? Listen, we, we all are going to experience trials in this life. It's how we handle that trial that shows our, our true spiritual fruit. And here what Asaph is doing for the congregation, he's saying, Remember us, Lord. This is not an individual psalm. This is a psalm for the community. The community is, is lamenting the, the despair of the things that they see around them. Then he gets very specific what he, what he sees in verse 3. Direct your steps to the perpetual ruins. The enemy has destroyed everything in the sanctuary. By God's grace, I don't think this sanctuary has been vandalized. You know, this is a beautiful building, Right? Now, now, we know that this is a, a beautiful building. It, it's well kept. But you can imagine someone came, coming in here and cracking every pane of glass. 
burning the pulpit, desecrating this place, burning it to the ground. You can, you can imagine hearts breaking. Now, for us, we know that we are not this place. We would, we would be lamenting that this building was down, but we know that we are the sanctuary of God. The people, right, who are born of the Spirit, that is the temple of the Lord. We know that. But here, in, in this day, they didn't. The temple was this, God's presence was in the sanctuary, the Holy of Holies. That's where they met with God. And the sanctuary is ruined. How can we meet with God? I mean, we have a direct access to God through the, through the power of the Holy Spirit because of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's torn the curtain, and he's been unleashed into our hearts. So we can say, praise God, there is nowhere we can go where we will not, that we, that we are cut off from the Lord. But here, where are we going to meet with God? They destroyed everything in the sanctuary, Lord. How are we going to meet with God? How are we going to hear from God? Verse 4, your foes have roared in the midst of your meeting place. They set up their own signs for signs. They were like those swinging axes in, the, in a forest of trees and all its carved wood. They broke down with hatchets and hammers. They set your sanctuary on fire. They profane the dwelling place of your name, bringing it down to the ground. They're, they're casting this onto the Lord. This is your sanctuary. This is your dwelling place. This is the place of, of your name. And you let them burn it down to the ground. And yet, why did God burn it down to the ground? Because of their sin. Because of their rebellion. Because of their rejection of him. He also allowed them to burn it down because he wanted us to give us a picture of what was coming. The Lord Jesus Christ is our temple. He is our dwelling place. John chapter 1 says that Jesus Christ made his dwelling among us. He literally tabernacled. I mean, he made his dwelling place among us. He is that temple. So when Jesus says that I will take this temple and I will tear it down in three days, I will lift it up. They thought he was, he was crazy. Right? Well, this sanctuary is being torn down and God is going to raise it up again. It's a picture of the temple that is to come. Verse 8, they said to themselves, we will utterly subdue them. They burned all the meeting places of God in the land. All the places where people met with the Lord, they burned. Verse 9, we do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet, and there is none among us who knows how long. How long, O oh God, is the foe to scoff is the enemy to revile your name forever. Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the fold of your garment and destroy them. He's saying, listen, the evil one, the evil enemies are destroying your name and destroying the people, destroying your temple, destroying the places where God's people gather to meet with your name. You have the power in your right hand. You have the power of, uh, to destroy any foe, any enemy. How long, God? Do it! Do it! You know, I don't know if we understand the depths of emotion that the Scripture teaches. You know, I think most of us kind of are numb to what 
to real depth of emotion. And I think that we know it when we lose someone that's close to us. You know, I've talked to some of you who have lost a spouse, and you have said that the pain, the loneliness, and the agony and the grief, there's nothing like it. There's a depth there that we can't really fathom. But typically, how, how do we deal with when we are struggling? We just kind of medicate ourselves now. We don't medicate ourselves with, with pills. Some do. But we medicate ourselves with entertainment, with television, with busyness, with working out. We try not to think of the pain. But when you read the scriptures, you see this agony. The community is in agony for what is happening to them. And they're calling on God. God, how long? How long? When, God? So there's a different level of emotion there, right? And I think that too often we don't let, let that really resonate, that deep emotion. You know, I think that um, we, uh, we are embodied spirits. The Holy God it made us who we are, but he made us emotional beings. We shouldn't neglect emotion. Now, remember, emotion is always governed by truth. Right? We'll see that here in a second, that this despair is going to, be, going, to be, going to be talked to by truth. So even when we have that emotion in ourselves and we feel like we're in despair, we can call out to God and say, God, why have you left me? Why do I feel alone? And then we take that thought and then we take the, the truth of God's word and we govern that emotion. And then it, it changes. And that, that's really how you see the Psalms. You see these, these c- complaints or these confessions. We're in despair. And then we, at the end of the Psalm, we see a turn. And right here in the middle, we see that turn. So the first question is, do you despair? Well, you're not alone. Because the people of God throughout history have despaired. But the second thing I would ask is, do you remember? Do you remember? And that's the turning point of the psalm in verse 12. We see that yet, yet God. You know, many have said that if it wasn't for the the but gods of the Bible or the yet God, right, we would be undone. And yet it says here, yet God, my king is from of old. So he's seeing what's happening around him. He sees the sanctuaries in ruins. The enemy is scoffing, reviling the people of God, and is just winning. Remember last week that Asaph was desiring to be like the world because of their prosperity. Here they're on the attack against God's people. They're not just prospering, but they're on the attack against God's people, and they're succeeding. And he says, yet God, my king, is from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. Know this, our God is active in history. Our God is working salvation right now. He's working salvation in your own hearts. He's, he's calling you to love Christ even more tonight. He's, a, he's sanctifying you, preparing you for that day. He is at work bringing salvation to, to the people in Iran today. And the people in China today and the people of South Africa today, God is in the midst of bringing his salvation to the world. That is who God is. And he's been doing it since before the foundation of the world. Think about your own salvation. Think about what God had to do to bring you to know Christ, where he had to, to take you, who he had to, to allow you to meet the messages that he had to, that you had to hear, that the messages that God had to prepare in someone's heart so that you would hear that before, before they, they preached it. Listen, God is always working. So he's saying, listen, you see the sanctuary being in ruins, but know this, God is working salvation. 
Yes, yes, the, the temple's being destroyed. And I'm taking you into exile. I'm going I'm to take you back out of exile. Right? How many times do we see that in the scriptures? God taking you out of exile. We see that picture in, in, in Exodus. Right? When God freed them from Egypt. We see the same thing from the, from the exile. God freed them from Babylon. We see the same thing in the Lord Jesus Christ. When he freed us from sin. Jesus Christ, the, 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 great, the, the great reason of, of the scriptures is, is, is that, thor, that story is woven through the entire Bible. Even here. You have working salvation in the midst of the earth. So this is one of the ways that we deal with our despair. One of the ways that we deal with our, our, our anxiety, our depression, is that we speak truth into that. We know this, that God is working in your life. That God is working to bring salvation in you and through you to others. So we, we speak to the reality of our despair and our depression saying this, I remember that God is working salvation. I remember that all things will work for my good for those who love God and been called according to his purpose. I know that. I know that God wants me to be like Christ. I know that God wants me to be sanctified. I know that God will carry me home. I will not despair. I will remember. He keeps on remembering. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. Uh, you can read that in, in, in a, think about nature. That's what he's doing here. But he's really trying to describe the Exodus. Jesus, uh, the Lord, parted the sea, the Red Seas, allowing them to walk on dry ground. Uh, he crushed the, the heads of the sea monsters with the water coming down upon the Egyptians. He crushed the heads of Leviathan. Now, Leviathan, I think, has appeared four times in the Old Testament. Usually it's the, in, in ancient uh, uh, Canaanite religion. It was the sea monster who lived in the deep. Here it's, it's a reference to Egypt, right, where God crushed the mighty nation of Egypt, the most powerful uh, nation in, in the land, and he gave them food for the creatures in the wilderness. Right? They were undone. He keeps on going. You split open springs and brooks. You dried up ever-flowing streams. We just see this is how God worked in the people of Israel when they were in the wilderness. In verse 16, yours is the day, yours also the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. This is why in, in Judges chapter 11, when Jephthah said that our God did this and your God did that. This is why passages like this show us why Jephthah was wrong. That he was believing in a duality. That there was multiple gods. And there isn't. You are the one who created the heavens. You are the one who created the, the seas. You created everything. Yours is the day and yours is the night. There is one God above all. And every time that we, 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 we allow in our minds the, 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 something else to kind of creep alongside with the Lord, we are denying the true divinity of, of the Lord God. And we're becoming syn syn um, falling into syncretism, right? And that was the problem of Israel. And that is why God led them into exile. So the reason why God led them into exile and he, 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 he punished them was because of their syncretic tendencies for not trusting the Lord God and him alone. This is why that we want to destroy the idols of our hearts. You know, John Calvin said that, that the heart is, is, is a human idol factory. We create idols and things that we, that we can't live without. 
And God wants you to crush them and have your life to be lived for him and him alone. I love how um, pervasive or comprehensive this is. It just reminds me that when I'm dealing with things in my own life, that God is much bigger than they are. God is so big, y'all. God is so big and comprehensive. And I think that sometimes we, we look at the little things in our lives, and what we do is we zoom in. What we need to do is zoom out and understand that that is all part of God's giant plan. You know? We have to be very careful. We, we preach to ourselves. We preach truth to ourselves. We look at the despair that's happening in our world, and we could go that way, the sanctuaries and ruins, but we no, no, no. Our God established everything. Our God knows exactly what he's doing. Trust him. And it doesn't mean that when you trust God that it's, it's going to be without tears. Sometimes when you walk with God, it's going to be painful. I mean, we even heard that this weekend. If you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, you are going to suffer. If you follow Jesus, you are going to suffer. You're going to have to give of yourself day in and day out for others. And I think this is just something that I think God wants his church to do. God wants his church to help each other remember. You know, I want people to know my life so well um, that when things are happening, they can say, hey, Dave, but do you remember a couple of years ago? My wife did that to me today. She said, but Dave, don't you remember this? And don't you remember that? And don't you remember this? God is in control. Trust him. Trust him. We need people in our lives. So I think part of the application for us is to have people know what's, share what's going on in your life. <laughs> Talk to people. Make sure that people know you so that they can help you remember what God is doing. This is the beauty of a family. This is the beauty of the, the church families, that we can help each other remember. Number one, do you despair? Number two, do you remember? And lastly, do you hope? Do you hope? This is how the, the psalm ends in 18 to the end of the chapter. He says, remember this, O Lord, how the enemy scoffs, and a foolish people reviles your name. Do not deliver the soul of your dove the wild beast. Do not forget the life of your poor forever. He's just kind of remembering. He's calling the Lord to remember. But really what he's saying is, Lord, just be faithful to the promises that you've made. Just be faithful to the promises that you've made. I'm just going to hold on to those promises and ask you to be faithful to them. I'm going to hope and trust in the promise that you have made. Don't let your little dove, that which you care for, be served to the wild beast. We think about the Lord Jesus, even talking about a good father, you know. We who are evil give good gifts to our kids. What, what child who asks a dad for a loaf of bread gives him a snake? It just doesn't happen. And we who are evil do that. But God is a good, good, good father. He will remember that. Verse 20. Have regard for the covenant. For the dark places of the land are full of habitations of violence. Let not the downtrodden turn back in shame. Let the poor and needy praise your name. Let us, let us praise your name, God. We know, we read it this morning, that, the, that God desires a broken and contrite heart. He doesn't want us to sacrifice on the burnt offering like Jephthah. He wants to have us sacrifice our lives. He wants a broken and contrite heart. 
And I love how he ends this. Arise, O God, defend your cause. Here's, here's something we have to understand. God wants you to be like him because that is his purpose. He wants his name to be glorified because that is his plan. So all the psalmist is doing is arise, defend your cause. Defend your people, O God. Defend your people. Remember how the foolish scoff at you all the day. Do not forget the clamor of your foes, the uproar of those who rise against you, which goes up continually. He's just simply hoping that God would defend his name. And we know that if we, if we flash forward through history, that God does that. God does uh, defend his cause. And he brings salvation, working in the midst of this world through his son, the Lord Jesus. Uh, the, 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 the God in the flesh, the, the temple, God with us. His body was broken. The temple of God was, was, was crucified and destroyed. And yet we, we hoped and God defended his cause by what? By raising Jesus Christ from the dead, right? And giving us hope for all time. He gave us hope because he defended his cause. God will always defend his cause. He will always bring about his purposes and his promises. And those who scoff him and those who malign him will one day face their judgment. Yeah, they may look like they're succeeding now, but one day they're going to have to answer for it. I mean, how many pictures have we seen of that in our world? Someone like Bernie Madoff, who, who was living the, the high life on other people's money, and now he's a, he's a laughing stock in, in, in prison. You know? You can't mock God. God will not be mocked. But what he, what he will do is he will defend his cause. So if you are in Christ, if you are connected with God in Christ, then you are with him and there is no one to condemn you. For you are justified in his name. He will always defend your name because your name is immediately connected to his. You belong with Christ and he will always defend his cause. So when you despair, remember. And you remember, you hope. You hope in what God has done for us in Christ and the promise of eternal glory where there is pleasures forevermore at his right hand. Father, I pray that as a church that we would not despair, that we would remember. And, oh God, because we remember, we would hope. We would hope of the eternal life that you have promised your people through believing in Christ. So, God, I pray that we would uh, always help each other to remember and that remembering would lead us to hope. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.